Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. So I like to start with something a little bit humorous. And, and uh, I saw some things that people had put on their church marquees. And I uh, thought I'd just read you a couple of them. The wages of sin is death. Repent before payday. Never give the devil a ride. He always wants to drive. Soul food served here. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back. I thought that was great. All right. So we're in a series. We've been talking. The series is entitled Vision. We've been talking about where we're going as a church, our foundation, what we emphasize here, the praise and worship, the ministry to young people, the importance of God's word. And today we're going to get to the last of those pillars. We're going to get to missions. But I want to take you on a little journey to get there. Right. So with me, let me just ask you a question. How many of you know what an American is? Okay. How many know what a Canadian is? How many know what a comedian is? We all do. How many know what a Christian is? Right. Now, there's a little confusion on that when we think we know. In fact, if somebody says to you, are you a Christian? Here's the type of answers you get. Some people say yes. Others will say, well, yeah, yeah but what do you mean? Yes, I am, but, but I'm not like that. I'm a Christian, but I'm not like what you're thinking a Christian is. Some of us, even as Christians, we were brought up in churches where we thought we we're the only ones going to heaven. Like God was going to curtain off a section for us so we wouldn't find out there were other people up there. Right? Some people think that being a Christian simply has to do with what you believe. You just believe the right things. And other people say, well, you're a Christian if you just behave the right way. Right? I, I talked with a guy and I asked him if he was a Christian. And he said, well, I'm an American, aren't I? Of course I'm a Christian. Like, like the two were, were synonymous, you know, but, but there are people today in our society, many of them, that they literally, they hate Christians. And when they think of a Christian, this is what they think of. A Christian is somebody, all right, who is hateful, judgmental, homophobic, moralistic, think they're the only ones going to heaven and they're glad when everybody else goes to hell. Well, I sure don't want to be one of them, do you? No. And, and by the way, that is not at all, if you look in the Bible, how a Christian is described. But that is how in a lot of people's minds, that's what Christians are. Now, in the Bible, by the way, the word Christians only use Christian and, and, and uh, related words used three times only. Three times. Right? Now, what's interesting is this, that it's not used by Jesus' followers to describe themselves. It's used by other people to describe the people that follow Jesus. And they do it not as a compliment, all right, but it's a slur. It's kind of like it's calling somebody a geek or really a redneck or, or actually much worse. Some of you can think of something worse than that. Right? When they would call somebody a Christian, uh, that, that was not a compliment. It was something that non-Jesus followers called followers of Jesus. In the Bible, they use, for example, the book of Acts, you'll find the way. They said we're followers of the way. Right? Or they use the word that Jesus used. Right? Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples. For example, Acts chapter 11, 26. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And they were called Christians by people that were not Jesus followers. Right? And they, they called them Christians because the word Christian, in their, their, their vernacular, it meant a little Christ. Somebody who was like an imitator of Jesus. So they watched their behavior and they said, well, they're like Jesus. And so they called them Christians, but not at all as a compliment. Right? 
Now, here's the thing about the word Christian. Again, just used three times in the Bible. It's never defined. We, we, you, you, can, you can do just about anything and call yourself a Christian. You can believe pretty much anything and call yourself a Christian because the word is never defined. But the word that's used in the New Testament that Jesus used, that the Bible uses, that the disciples used, was the word disciple. And that word is defined. And by the way, Jesus didn't say go make Christians. He said go make disciples of all nations. Right? So the disciples, they were first called Christians in Antioch. Again, by those who weren't Christians, weren't followers of Jesus. Now, a disciple is a learner, a pupil, a follower, an apprentice. It is, a disciple is somebody who asks some questions. When they're facing a certain problem in a relationship, a disciple says, what would Jesus do to manage this relationship? How would Jesus react to this situation? Right? They're always asking, what would Jesus do? They're saying, give me direction. Show me how to live my life. In fact, before Jesus ever says anything, a disciple already has the answer. And the answer before Jesus tells you to do anything is yes. No matter what it is, Jesus is saying it. If you're a disciple, the answer is yes. All right, Jeannie's the only one who knows that. What's up with this? All right, so you, you, you see, the word no and Lord do not go well in the same, in the same sentence. No, Lord, that doesn't work. Right? So whenever Jesus tells a disciple to do something, the response is immediately yes. A disciple is someone who is seeking to become more like Jesus. A disciple is someone who sees themselves as Jesus' hands and feet in the world today. A disciple is someone who is doing all they can to bring other people to Jesus. And a disciple is someone who follows Jesus' admonition to love one another. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Because you go to church, get baptized, read your Bible, are a Democrat or a Republican. How many of you know anything to do with that? He said, they'll know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Disciples of Jesus, Jesus said, you love one another. See, see, somebody might not want to be a disciple, but when they look at a disciple, they go, wow. Hey, look how they treat their spouses. You know, look how they reach out to the poor, to the disenfranchised to those that are abused and used. Hey, look how they are accepting of every ethnicity. They don't care. Hey, look how they, 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 they treat their children. Hey, look, look what they do with their money. Look, look at what they do with their employees. You know, I, I don't want to be one, but I tell you what, I, I want a bunch of them to work for me. And I want my daughter to marry one. I don't want to be one. But I want my daughter to marry one because that's the type of person I want them to marry. Right? Is somebody becoming like Jesus? Somebody reaching out with the good news of Jesus? 
Someone who realizes wherever I go, I am to be. I am Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet. And somebody that loves one another. Again, in the New Testament, get this, over 30 times we're told to one another. Love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. One another, one. How many know you can't one another all by yourself? You see, you, you were created for connection. And remember, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. All right? Jesus is not all right, a tribal ethnic deity. All right? John the Baptist said it this way. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, the world. He is the Savior of the world. My, my life verse is Romans 10, verse 13. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? In his book on the cross, Rod Parsley talks about the treatment of slaves, which of course was universally appalling. But the colonial plantations in the West Indies were notorious for being the cruelest of anywhere in the world. And partly because it seemed to them that they had an endless supply of fresh slaves coming in from Africa, that they mistreated their slaves and literally worked them to death. Now, at this time in Europe, there's a group of Christians, the Moravians, and they're wanting to reach the slaves in the West Indies. And the question is, how do we do it? And they come up with a bold, breathtaking answer. And their answer is, we'll sell ourselves into slavery so we can go to the West Indies and preach to the slaves. So there is a Dutch ship that's leaving the Copenhagen Harbor October the 8th, 1732. And there's two young Moravian men, John Dober, who's a potter, and his friend David, a carpenter. And they're on their way to sell themselves as slaves so they can be missionaries to the slaves in the West Indies. Their family and friends have all gathered there at the harbor. And history records that as that ship slipped away from its moorings, that they're waving to their friends and their loved ones who they realize that they will never see again. They shout something out that, that became a battle cry for the Moravians for a couple of centuries. And I remember how it affected me when I first heard it 42 years ago. They shouted and they said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Now, church historians tell us that the Moravian missionaries who sold themselves into slavery won over 80,000 slaves to Christ. They grasp what so many today do not, that following Jesus is not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be extending comfort, right? It means gladly suffering rejection because Christ too was rejected, right? So that he can receive the reward of his suffering. You know, our response to the love, to the tremendous sacrifice that God made to redeem us should be, as it says in the Psalms, it says, send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for mankind. Now, Jesus said in Acts 1, he said, you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the othermost parts of the earth. 
And literally in the, in the original language, we think it means, well, go to Jerusalem and then go to Samaria and, or Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. But literally what it means is to do it all at the same time. Here's what Jesus is saying. Wherever you are, that's your place to be. That's where you and I are supposed to be witnesses for him. Mark Batterson wrote a book called All In. He said that a century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased a single ticket to the mission field without a return half. And instead of packing suitcases, they literally packed their belongings in a coffin and then sailed out of port waving goodbye to everybody and everything they knew, believing they would never return. One-way missionaries. A.W. Mons was one of those missionaries. And he was determined to go to an island in the South Pacific that was full of headhunters. Every missionary who had gone before him had been martyred. He said he didn't fear for his life because he said, I'm already dead. My coffin is packed. He got there and for 35 years, he lived among the tribal people and he loved them. When he died, the members of the tribe, they buried him right in the middle of town. And they inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. He said, when he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. You know, when did we start to believe that God wants to send us only to safe places and do easy things? Right? That faithfulness means holding the fort. That we're safe if we play it safe. That there is a greater privilege than sacrifice. Jesus didn't die to keep you safe. He died to make you dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. Faithfulness is charging the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It is a daring plan for your life. The complete surrender of your life to Christ should not be radical. It should be normal. And it's time to quit living as if the purpose of our life is to arrive at death safely. Right. If you're a student, your purpose is not to graduate. Your purpose is to be a light for Jesus right there in that school, wherever it is. C.T. Studd is one of the great missionaries of the 20th century. Uh, he was born in 1860 to a very wealthy family in England, a family that did not know God. Uh, as he began to mature, it was very obvious he was extremely talented as an athlete. And uh, he literally became the, the most famous cricket player in the world. I read a biography that compared him to Michael Jordan. His father is... C.T. Studd hit his early teens. His father went and heard Dwight L. Moody preach. He got saved. He started working on his sons. And at 18, C.T. Studd became a Christian. He said, but he, he just kept on with his worldly pursuits. In fact, he, he later said, you know, he was, a, he was a backslidden Christian was his words. But then in his 20s, in his early 20s, he said he had an experience with God, radically, radically turned him around. And he left the worlds of sports, just left. Now, how many of you know if Michael Jordan had left at the pinnacle of his career, that would have been a big sacrifice. Then he inherited what to us would, would be tens of millions of dollars, and he gave it 100% of it away. 
went to China as a missionary. Then he went to India. Then later he went to Africa. And he said this. He said, only one life soon will be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. I've got a short biography of, of C.T. Studd that we put on our Facebook page if you're interested in, in looking. But I want you to think about this. Your Bible, the New Testament, well, the New Testament begins with four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Then there's what is referred to as the book of Acts. And it's the story of how Jesus' disciples went and preached everywhere. And then the rest of the New Testament is made up of letters. Right? They're called epistles. And uh, some people think they're the wife of the apostles, but they're not. They're just letters, right? And they're epistles. And they're, the, they're letters that are written to all of the churches that the disciples began. So literally what you have is you have your whole New Testament is about reaching out and bringing the good news about what Jesus has done to other people. Think about this. Jesus was a missionary. He left heaven and came to earth. Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, one of our heroes, he was a missionary. He went to the then known world, right? All of the, the, the book of Acts, it's about the other disciples and Paul taking and preaching the epistles to all the churches that they wrote. Jonah was a missionary. Now, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Now, in those days, the arch enemies of the Israelites were the Ninevites. Uh, the Ninevites were in, in a, a very, very powerful military force and extremely ruthless. Nothing that ISIS has done would top what the Ninevites did. Right? They were their enemy. And, and God said to this prophet, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach. You know, in the 1980s, Ronald Reagan called Russia the evil empire. I mean, and in the mind of the Israelites, the Ninevites, that's who they were. And when God said, go and preach to them and tell them in 40 days, judgment is going to fall. He said, I know God is so merciful. He said, they might listen to me. So God said, go. So he went down to the port city and he got on a boat and he took off in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He said, God, I, I don't You might like those people, but I want you to kill them all. And I am not helping you know how. So he gets on a boat and he takes off. Well, then God sends a storm. And the sailors are like, whose fault is this? And Jonah says, it's my fault. I'm running from God. And he found me. How many know running does not work? God found him. And they said, what should we do? He said, throw me overboard. He said, the storm will stop. So they throw him overboard. Sure enough, poof, storm stops. The Bible said God prepared a huge fish. This fish comes up, he swallows. No, no, Jonah, excuse me. And, and there's Jonah in the fish. And Jonah realizes being in a fish is not a good place to be. All right? I think I'm going to die. Maybe I should do something. Now, uh, one of my mentors since, on, since he's gone to be with the Lord, Lester Summerall, he was down in South Bend, Indiana for the last couple decades of his life. Before that, he was a missionary all over the world. When he was 16 years old, he had tuberculosis. The family doctor came over and said, Lester is not going to live the night. And he wrote out his death certificate. And he said, take this in the morning because he'll be dead. Take it in the morning. They'll give you a gravesite." Lester hears all this. He goes to bed that night. He's sleeping. He was in bed. He's sleeping. 
And he said, he saw a vision. He said, and he saw a casket and he saw a big Bible. And God said to him, choose today. You can die or you can preach the Bible. He said, I, I looked at that Bible and I knew I did not want to preach. And I looked at the casket and that looked even worse. So I said, God, I'll preach. Woke up in the morning, wasn't supposed to, but he woke up and he was hungry. And he said to his, he hadn't eaten in several days. He said to his mother, he said, hey, hey I, want some, I want some grits. I want some bacon. I want some ham. And mom thought, he's going to die anyway. Why not? <laughs> fix him some grits, fix him some ham, bacon. He eats it. He said, I'd like some more. Mom thought, he's going to die anyway. <laughs> Fed him again. In a matter of a few days, he's up and around. About 10 days later, the voice said to him, go preach. Go preach. He went down the road 20, 30 miles, and he found a, a schoolhouse. And they gave him permission to preach there at night. He went around to the farmers in the area, knocked on their door, and said, I'm going to preach. Come hear me preach. That night, a bunch of farmers came. He preached. Gave an altar call. A few farmers received the Lord. One guy said, uh, I don't want your God. Lester said, good, just go to hell. I don't care. <laughs> that was Jonah's attitude. Just go to hell. I don't care. He said, the only reason I'm preaching is because I don't want to die, and I don't care what happens to you. <laughs> uh, he went that way for a while. <laughs> and he said, then God, literally, he said, I saw a vision of the broad way. I saw people falling into hell. He said, and it changed me forever. Changed him forever. Well, Jonah, he preaches. The people hear. The king hears. The king, the Bible says he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He starts to fast. He said, nobody in this entire kingdom drinks a drop of water, not man or beast. We're going to ask God for mercy. And Jonah goes outside and he sits down on a mountain. And he's looking at Nineveh, waiting for God to fry them. And the Bible says God causes a, a gourd to grow up, this plant, and these big leaves, and there's shade. And he's sitting there, and he's all happy, sitting there waiting for God to destroy the city. And then God sends, the Bible says, a strong, warm east wind and a worm. And a worm attacks the plant and kills it, and it just withers away. And, no, and, 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 and Jonah, he starts yelling at God! Why did you kill my plant? My plant is gone. God, it would be better for me to die. And God said to him, he said, you are so concerned about your comfort and a plant that you did nothing to grow. He said, and there's 120,000 people in that city that do not know their right hand from their left hand. And God said, I'm concerned about every one of those people. And you're, nothing, you're concerned about nothing but your comfort. And unfortunately, that can be a description of some of us. We are more concerned about our comfort, our entertainment, than we are about millions of people stepping into eternity without God. People that are your neighbors, people you go to school with, people you work with. It is, it is an indictment to be like Jonah. Where we're just more concerned about ourselves 
than we're concerned about a lost and a dying world. Now, you were created for connection. You were created to connect with people. Listen, if you and I are going to work for, how many want to work for God? Wave at me. Okay, if you don't want to, you're just not a disciple. All right. To work for God, you have to love people. Red, yellow, black, white, every mix in between. Rich, poor, educated, illiterate, Democrat, or Republican. Got to love them all. Love them all. God loves and values every single person. Now, I want you to listen real carefully to a verse of Scripture you've probably heard, but I don't think you've looked at it this way before. Mark 16, verse 20. It says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. They went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. Now, notice, it doesn't say they worked with the Lord. It says the Lord worked with them. You say, what did they do? They went everywhere. They didn't, like, get a voice from heaven and say, hey, go to the mall. No, no, no. Everywhere, everywhere they went. And they shared the good news about Jesus. And wherever they went, God showed up. The Bible says God worked with them confirming the word with signs following. We sometimes think we've got to hear a voice. We've got to have a dream. We need a vision. We're like, God, if you want me to share with my neighbor, let three camels walk through the sanctuary. Now listen, all that you need to do is go. You go anywhere and he'll work with you. We, 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 we tend to think we need some special permission. No, you go, he'll work with you. Right? Every place, whether it's West Michigan or some place in the 1040 window. And again, you were created for relationship. You were created for connection. It's in Hebrews chapter 6 that it talks about the doctrine of baptisms. And that the, the baptism is plural, right? Because we're going to baptize people in water next week. But yet the Bible says that there's one baptism that every person goes through. And that's when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit immediately takes you and baptizes. And by the word, that word baptize means to immerse into the body of Christ. That's why there's, there's over 31 another's, right? Because you were created for connection. You were created for relationship. When Jesus delivers the Gadarene demoniac, he immediately tells him, go home to your friends, your family, tell them what great things God has done for you. Every one of us were created for relationship. So in Acts 2, verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, sincerity of heart. Now notice they had two types of things that they did. It says in the temple courts, in the temple courts they're having large services like this. right? But then it says from house to house. They did both. They had large services, but then they had small community services that we would, just, we, we would refer to them as small groups. Right? We want everybody to be in a small group. You say, why? Because so much of discipleship takes place in a small group. Jeannie and I, we're in a small group. And uh, we love small group. We love the people in our small group. We can't, we, 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 you know, when we're, it, it's, it's Friday, we do Sunday night. 
Sunday night small group. And it, when it's Thursday, we're already, hey, we're going to have small group. We're going to be great. We're going to get together. We love it. Right? But now listen, Proverbs 18.1. The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all sound judgment. What are you saying? I'm saying that what the devil wants to do is he wants you to be separated from other Christians. How many of you ever heard somebody say this? Well, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. I just hate Christians. I love Jesus. I just don't like Christians. No, 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 no. You see, we're to love one another. And how many of you know that in church there's people that aren't perfect, like me, like you, right? You're, gonna, you're not always going to be treated right. You may, something may happen that might not be fair. You're not, but you know what the Bible tells us to do? It says to forgive one another. Forgive one another. You see, the part of discipleship only takes place in relationship. And it says don't isolate yourself. Right? Um, at our house, we eat bananas. It's our favorite fruit, bananas. Right? Costco bananas. Now, I want to give you a great spiritual truth, so listen carefully. We buy the bananas and we bring them home. They come in a bunch. The first one that gets eaten is the first one that we take off the bunch. This is deep. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking which banana to devour. Which one does he devour? The one that's isolated, the one that's alone, the one that's not connected, the one that's not in relationship. Right? So, so we want you to be in a small group. Right? We want you to be connected. Why? Because it's part of discipleship. Right? And, and we wanted to let you know we've got a, a pilot program going on right here in church. All right, where we've divided, if, if you look at the church, you can always see there's sections of pews, and we're, we're getting section leaders in each one of the sections. We're working on getting, getting them everywhere. All right, and the section leaders are people that get here first, they stay here last. All right, and they're here welcoming people, encouraging people, praying for people. You know, sometimes somebody wants to come in and they, they think, well, I'm, I'm not noticed, I'm not valued. I'm not appreciated. I want you to know that we value and we appreciate every single person that comes in here. And we want to dignify every single person that comes here. Right? You say, why? Because Jesus said that every single person, every one of us, is worth more than the whole world. He said, what would it value you? What would it accomplish for you if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? Every person is worth more than the entire world. So as you come in, if you see somebody, they're, they're welcoming, they're helping you meet other people, they're praying, they're encouraging. Those are the section leaders. And what are we doing? We just want you to connect. We, we, we want you to know that we love you, we value you, we appreciate you. you know, and really what, what each like, little group of section does is it becomes like its own little church. So there's, there's relationship. We connect. We help. We love one another. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Nobody moving, please, unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, we talked just last week about how important the Bible is. If the Bible has the answers for our lives, 
But not only does the Bible have the answers, the Bible has the great questions. The Bible says this in James. It says, what is your life? What is your life? Somebody would say, my life's happy. Somebody else would say, it's a wreck. Somebody would say, it's my family. It's my job. Somebody would say, my life's great. My life's going somewhere. Somebody else says, my life's going nowhere. But the Bible answers that question. What is your life? It says, your life is just like a vapor. You step outside in a cold morning, you see your breath, and it says, and it's gone. We just buried my mother yesterday, 86 years old, body wore out, went to heaven. We're rejoicing that she's there. But the older I get, the more I realize how short life is. The Bible says your life is just like a vapor. It's there. And in light of eternity, it's just gone. Second question, what will the end be? What will the end be? And and this is a multiple choice, but it's only A and B. The end, the Bible says, is either heaven or hell. An eternity in God's presence where there's fullness of joy or an eternity separated from God. And then the last question. By a man who's about to commit suicide, and then he realizes God loves him and God is reaching down to him. And this is what he shouts out. He said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? The Bible says it this way in John chapter 1. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the the children of God. It is not enough to believe all the right things about God. You need to receive Jesus. Receive him as your Lord, as the sacrifice for your sin, and live for him and be a disciple. Now, if you're here today, you're away from God, and you want to come back, you need to come back to God. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here. Or if you know you're not right with God, you say, I just got to get right. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. I need to be delivered. This is for you. When I count to three, lift that hand. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying is this, that all of your efforts will never make you right with God. All of my efforts will never make me right with God. There's one way, and that's Jesus. And as you lift your hand today, the first thing that you're saying to God is you're saying, God, I know I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved, to be forgiven, to be delivered. One, you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm turning my back on my old life. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Two, now get ready. You lift your hand. You're saying, God, today, I'm receiving Jesus in my heart by faith. Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family. I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up right now. Lift it up. Pray with me. Pray with me. I see three hands right there. Another, another, two more over here. Another hand here. And another, and another, and another, and another. Are there more? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Another hand right over here. Another over there. All right. Now, everybody, would you please stand up again? Nobody moving. 
Now, if you lifted your hand, look right at me. Please, right now, move to the aisle that's nearest you. Grab your Bible, your purse, the person that you came with in the balcony. Start making your way down. We're going to wait for you. Come right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to say amen. And when we say amen, your past, it will be gone. You're going to be right with God. He's going to make you new on the inside, a part of his family, on your way to heaven, from the balcony again. If you will come down, we're going to wait. We're going to pray. God's going to do a miracle. Jesus said, confess me before men. I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Man, nothing, nothing more important than getting right with God, changing eternity, changing kingdoms, changing lords. Awesome. All right. Amen. All right. God bless. God bless you. You know, some are still coming from the balcony, so let's, let me talk for a moment, all right? Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, this is going to work for you. The devil will tell you, you did so much. You've gone so far. Look what you've done. God's mad. It's a lie. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. It says, we beg you to get right with God. And we are so glad that you're listening today, that you're going to get right. This is going to work. This works for whosoever will call. Now, we're going to call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible tells us to, right? And then we're going to say amen. And this is God's promise to you, will be saved. When we say amen, past is gone. Sins are forgiven. You're right with God. God's going to come into your heart. He's going to make you new, a part of his family on the inside. Most important thing that can ever happen to any one of us. All right. Everybody, would you take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray with everyone that's just come. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I believe Jesus rose again. I receive him today as my Savior, as my Lord. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer, that you see my heart, and that you blood washed me from my sin, that you make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Most important decision you're ever going to make. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.